Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that, that we can be here um, experiencing your creation and, and the, the wonderful sunshine and the trees and, and just uh, the blue sky. Uh, we're thankful that we can experience creation as well as to speak about our creator and consider who he is and who we are before him. And Lord, we, were, we are so thankful for Jesus. Um, that, that you loved us so much, that you sent him to die, that we could be with you, and that he would be the payment for our sin. And Lord, we, we would pray now that as we've gathered, that your presence would be experienced and felt, and that you would work in each of us, um, and shape us, and mold us, and convict us of, of who we are. And Lord, we pray that you would help us each to recognize our need for you, and our dependence on you, and the opportunity and the potential that exists in you when we would just seek you. So, Lord, um, let us put our eyes on you. Um, this morning and every day. Lord, uh, speak clearly through me, even in spite of me. And, uh, and let us all be shaped by the words you have. In Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew 13, Jesus shares the parable of the soils. Um, and, he's, and we read this in Matthew 13, starting at the beginning. <clears throat> and we read, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And so let's just talk about a sower. A sower would have been person who would have had some seeds, which in that time would have been precious. Um, it wasn't like we buy them at Quality Farm and Fleet or, or um, Tractor Supply or Home Depot in big bags, um, right? This would have been precious. Seeds would have been precious. And the, and the sower would have been taking those seeds and would have been trying to, to throw them on good ground. Um, maybe even perhaps sow them differently. But in this image, we're having somebody who's casting seed um, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and fowls or birds came and devoured them up. Some fell in stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. Um, and when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and bought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Um, then we're just going to jump to Matthew 13, 19 through 23 and read this really quickly. When one heareth, this is Jesus now um, <clears throat> taking the time to share with his disciples what the parable means. Right? He's not just um, going to leave them with the story and have them interpret kind of like what we were talking about and what Brian was sharing this morning with the light. There's, there was a, there was a, an interpretation, and here we have the interpretation for, for um, the parable of the sower and the seeds. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath, not, yet hath he not root in himself, but endureth for a while. But when tribulation, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth, 
because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. But he that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundred, some sixty and some thirty fold. And so my example here and the example is that some are given responsibility to sow. And if you look in first Corinthians chapter three, the apostle Paul talks about and says that to some they sow, to some they water. Right. And, and he was talking about church like leaders and people that are out there working in the ministry for, for the gospel, as we talked about this morning. And uh, so some sow and some water, but it's God that gives the increase. And, and, and it's God that, that springs this seed to life. And so um, my challenge to her was that, that, look, you might be given the responsibility to sow. And for, for, for you, it might be a time in life where you're sowing. And in other parts of your life, or maybe even during your whole life, you might be needing to sow or to share the gospel. <laughs> um, you know, just to, for some of us, it's in our heart and it's our passion. And if it's your heart and passion to go out and share the gospel, then do it with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your passion, with everything you've got. Do it every day. Um, <laughs> I have an uncle, Leanne's uncle, actually, Uncle Dave, who uh, recently uh, got a, uh, he's um, got MS, uh, very severe at this point. Uh, he can't move anything. Uh, it was his wife, Sandy, that heard. I um, heard him talking in his room one night. Uh, she went in and listened. He was sharing the gospel with Alexa. Alexa, for those of you that don't know, is Amazon's assistant, right? The, the virtual assistant, and it's a speaker in your house. And when you say, hey, Alexa, Alexa talks back. Or you ask Alexa a question, it talks back. Right? He's not there yet all the way anymore. He doesn't understand what Alexa is, but he hears Alexa talking to him. He's going to share the gospel with her. Right? And isn't that the way we should be? Uh, that, that if that's what God has laid on our heart, to share the gospel but to share it with love. And so, so my, my challenge to her uh, in, the, in the moment was um, that, that, the, that the message here for us is to, to share the gospel, to be willing to do it in a way that people can hear it. How do we do and, and spread the gospel when people can hear it? Now, I had a, a thought as to where this was going to go. Um, and my young my young Christian friend asked me a question that, um, that on some level was very beginner, very rookie, but very profound. Um, and it took the conversation in a very different way, very quickly. Um, she asked, how do I know which I am? And I, for a split second, I thought, is she talking about, is she the, is she the sower? Is she the waterer? Um, and she goes, no, 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 no. How do I know which soil I am? Right. Now, you might say, well, that's, that's easy. That's, that's a very beginner question. But let me ask you, is it? 
Do any of us dare, how many of us dare ask ourselves that question regularly? Because what's profound about this, this passage is that Jesus is talking about a present state and a future state simultaneously. Right? He is explaining, look, let's look at this, and he, let's look at the one that talks about um, the stony ground. He that received the seed in stony places, the same as he that hears the word, receives the word, endureth for a while. But when tribulation and persecution come, because of the word, because of what he believes, he's offended. It's speaking to a present state of receiving the word, accepting the word, having joy in the word. And in some way, living out the word is implied because persecution arises because of the word, right? So I'm living what I've heard. But the future state in this parable is one that we're not very comfortable with. And so it's speaking about a present state and a future state. And same with the one that receives the, the, the seed around with the, with the weeds, with the thorns. Is... Um, he also that received seed among the thorns is he that hears the word. But the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So let's, what's the present state there? The present state is one that received the word and is fruitful. Right? Being fruitful is something that, that Jesus commands and says that, that the, the evidence of us being saved is the fruit that we bear is the evidence of our lives. It lines very closely with what we were listening and talking about during Bible class this morning, that there's an evidence that, that exists that we are witnesses of, ironically. We're witnesses of the evidence in our own lives. We testify of the change in our lives. And that change produces fruit. And so this, this parable is speaking about a present state that is fruitful and a future state that's not. And so she asks, which am I? Which soil am I? Anybody ask themselves that question? Such a simple question. I, I have to say, I've never asked myself that question. I don't know if it's Societal influence. I don't know if it's um, me just assuming that I'm good. I believe. I've got Jesus. He loves me. God's merciful. Any order you want to put those words in, those phrases, right, to make them actually make more sense. But because of all of those and all that combination of things, I'm good. And because I'm good, I just live. And I can be in a hurry and I can be busy and I can blow people off. Here's a fundamental truth. Salvation is a present reality for every believer. Salvation is a present reality for everyone that truly believes in Jesus Christ. However, 
can you determine your future? What about the future? Because this parable speaks about today. But it also speaks about the future. I mean, some would say, some would, some would say, and there's arguments and there's theology out there that says that because um, Jesus died for all of our sins, that if I accept the fact and believe the fact that Jesus died for my sins, that my future automatically looks bright, regardless of, of anything, that my future looks bright. And so my future is predetermined. But the Apostle Peter says that we have a role in determining our future. But what's really profound by this is that I will tell you that, that when we look at these verses that, that the Apostle Peter writes and that we're going to dig into now, that we can determine our future by what we do today. What do you think? You willing to go there with me? <laughs> Let's go to Second Peter. Not exactly sure. I've got it written right here, but I feel more comfortable looking at it on my my Bible. Let's go to Second Peter together. So just as a little bit of background here for who Peter is writing to, you actually um, have to look at, at the letter of 1 Peter. Um, Peter speaks in, in the first verse of 1 Peter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers or to God's people scattered throughout a series of areas, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Um, so uh, what we have is a group of believers that have been scattered. This isn't like a, a group that's together as a huge church. He's writing this letter to a series of believers that are around. And these believers, as we would, if you would look at First and Second Peter together, um, are being challenged with suffering, with persecution, with tribulation, um, with, with challenging times. And so this is who this is written to. And um, I'm going to go to the punchline first, and then we're going to dig into uh, how we get to the punchline. So the punchline is verse 10 of Second Peter chapter 1. So uh, if you look at Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10, um, the Apostle Peter says this. He says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. So therefore, and we're going to find out what that therefore is, but he starts with therefore, wherefore, like because of these things, which we're going to dig into, if you give diligence to make your election and calling sure, and if you do these things, you're going to never fall. We can determine our future. We can determine our future. How do we determine our future? Let's go to chapter 1 of, and verse 1. So Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ 
to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Quick introduction. He's writing this to believers. Okay? Um, to you all today, you've got the opportunity to be a believer. Um, if you're not a believer already, the opportunity is here. Um, don't blow it off superficially like I was ready to do that on a Thursday night with a phone call. So if, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have not surrendered your life to him fully, today's the day. Today's the opportunity. And, and take it. For those of us that are believers, that have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, have given up who we are for him, we have the opportunity to determine where we go. How do we do that? Let's go to verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Um, so it does start with grace. It does start with God's mercy. And, and what, is, what is grace? The way I've explained it simply, without getting all theological about it, is imagine getting a gift that you don't deserve. In fact, imagine that you've made fun of somebody and that you've poked at them that you've kind of like ripped them apart behind their back and said bad things about them, undermined their character and who they are. And imagine someday there's a knock on your door and you open the door and that person is standing at your door. Now, you might be tempted to just close the door. Or you might be tempted to hopefully you have a ring so you can see that it's them and so you don't answer the door because of who it is and you know that you've done all these bad things. But let's just pretend that you open the door and there they are and they hand you a present. That's grace, right? You get a present that you don't deserve. Now, what's in the present? So, so some of us, if it was, if I carry this analogy a little bit further, some of us might tuck it up on a corner or throw it away because we think it's a bomb because we've been so mean to this person. But, but maybe we don't, right? And maybe we actually open the gift. Like, you know, on, on, open the wrapping paper, pull the bow out. That's, that's grace right there, that gift, and when we open the box, what's inside? Salvation through Jesus Christ. A way to be saved. And so grace is the gift that we don't deserve. Accepting that gift is being saved through Jesus Christ. And so Apostle Peter says, I pray that grace, that God's gift in you and the peace and the comfort and the confidence that comes with it is multiplied in you, grows in you, expands in you. Like we're being challenged in this verse to grow in our understanding of what God has really done for us. Right? At a deep, individual, personal level, to recognize that my sin that my sin, that I participated in hanging Jesus on the cross. Right? That's what we're being challenged to do here with how does grace and peace multiply? It's by, by more deeply understanding the, the enormity of the gift that we've been given through Jesus Christ. And so do we ponder, do, do, we, do we take the time to reflect that my sin put him there, that I don't deserve Salvation, that I don't deserve 
the, the, the gift that I've been given, and yet he's given it to me. And if I, if I ponder that and consider it and, and let it kind of like soak in, how does it affect me? This is how it affects me. He goes on to verse 3 and he says, According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. So, I'll, you know, totally straightforward. We could take verse 3 and, and we could have spent this entire message on verse 3. There's so much substance in the idea and in the premise of what we read here. That, that his divine power has given us everything we need to be saved. Everything we need, he has given. But let's, let's, just, let's just hammer through this really quickly. Um, because we've got a lot of verses to cover and time's running. Um, who he is means that he can give and is prepared to give salvation. Not just salvation, but everything we need to have life. Nobody can deny Jesus the ability to save us. Nobody can deny Jesus the ability to give us what we need for salvation. There is no power on heaven or earth that can keep him from giving us what we need to be saved. Nothing. Nobody. The devil can't do it. Your, your friends, your family, a hard life. There is nothing that can stand in the way of salvation, of having life. And so when you're being challenged, when, when you feel like you're being torn, when you're in a really bad place, recognize that who he is means that nobody can get in the way. Because his divine power His divine authority, his divine right, who he is, his identity of who he is means that nobody can stand in the way. And so the Apostle Peter says that that according as his divine power, because of who he is and what he has done, there is nothing, nothing that can get in the way of you being able to have life in Jesus Christ. And so, if we know him, if we accept that grace, and that grace in verse 2 that we talked about, if it grows in you, if it multiplies, if I, if I consider what he has done, that knowledge of his saving grace, of his mercy, gives me what I need to be saved. And that is not a theology or a theory. It's not a process. It's not something that can just be like written out and checked off because every one of us are different. Every one of us are individuals and every one of us have had different experiences to this point in life. And when we come to know our Savior and when we come to know the the challenges that we have faced And the saving grace that we individually have been given, it's a personal thing. 
your challenges are different than your challenges, are different than yours, and they're different than mine. But Jesus worked and can work in you, in you, you and me. And if I surrender to him, if I truly surrender and accept that gift and allow myself to to consider the enormity of it, I am changed. And that knowledge gives me life. Not only life, but through that knowledge of him in verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I'm reading mouthfuls here, and so I'm going to try to paraphrase really quickly um, just so that we can move forward. (laughs) So, not only has he given us life, but he has promised. Not only like, does he have the authority to give life because of the power that he has, not only can nobody take it away because of who he is, but here's the, kind of the, the linchpin in this conversation is that he has promised certain things. He has promised that if I, if I follow him, that he will never put a temptation, that there will never be something in front of me that he can't save me from that I can't get away from. He's promised me that if I'm faithful, he's going to be faithful. He's promised me that there's nothing, nobody that can take this away from me. Satan can't steal this from you. He's made promises. We could go through a litany, a number of these promises, but he says that if I believe in these promises, if I believe in these promises, I connect to his virtue, to his goodness, and to his glory. And again, that's a whole sermon. So if you want to understand that in more detail, talk to one of the brothers here. Talk, Come and talk to me or, or try to tease me. Just try not to do it on a Friday night at 5 o'clock. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, um, if I believe those promises because I have faith, this is all cumulative here, right? I partake in his divine nature. I don't become divine. I don't become something different, like from heavenly in a sense, right? I I actually become identified with him and his divine nature and his virtue in verse four. And then I spent a lot of time talking about this, but this is kind of like the basics, right? This is Christianity 101 in the sense that when I become a believer, this is what happens. This isn't, I'm making a big deal of it just to, to clarify it, but this is like this right now, verse five, I'm a believer. I've, I've accepted the gift. I've considered who I am. I've considered who he is. It has fundamentally made me realize my need for him. I claim his promises. I'm identified with his goodness and his glory with his divine nature. I become identified with him because of, of my repentance. Um, and now verse 5, and in addition to this, he says, and in addition to this, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Let's just talk about what it means to, to be diligent. So to be diligent is to be earnest. Um, I, am, I pursue God and aspire to God with all my heart and all my soul because I recognize who he is, what he's done for me, and how much I owe him and how much he loves me. 
right? So I'm earnest. I pursue him and I desire him with a passion. And so I would venture to guess that all of us here, once we understand what Jesus has done for us, that we would be earnest in our desire to serve him. We would be diligent. We would give it all we've got. With all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Virtue, the Greek word is ariti. Add to your, your pursuit of him, add goodness. Add excellence. Add high standards. Like set the bar high. Set the bar high. We're not satisfied with just faith. We're not satisfied with just trust. But we, we aspire to be as close to him as we possibly can. So if I'm truly earnest, if I truly desire him, then I'm going to add to that desire a pursuit of goodness, of being like him. It's pretty straightforward. And then to that virtue, you add knowledge. So then I'm going to dig and I want to want to know more because I want to be good. I want to know more about him, right? So I'm going to dig more into his word and into understanding what he has done and understanding how much he has loved me and what he's done for me. I'm going to dig into that. And so in verse 5, right, we're reading, add virtue to your faith, to your belief, and trust in him, add virtue, and to virtue knowledge. And then we're going to go on, and into knowledge, we're going to add temperance. You know what temperance is? Self-control. Greek word, and grataya, self-control. If we earnestly, so if I earnestly, right, I'm diligent. If I diligently want to know God, add knowledge, um, aren't we going to find ourselves pursuing righteousness? As we learn more about God, doesn't it make sense that if I, if I believe in him and I have faith in him, that I'm going to be earnest, and if I'm going to be earnest in pursuing, I'm going to add knowledge. And if I'm going to add knowledge, I'm going to follow through on that knowledge. And that follow through is self-control. Temperance. And now we're going to read on. And to, to temperance, patience. You see, because self-control is interesting. How many of us are good at self-control? I would say, if you're German, you're good at self-control. If you're Serbian, you're not. <laughs> I'm making that up. <laughs> um, uh, I'm making that up, but in reality, the more we try to be self-controlled, the more we find we need help, right? Right? And the more we realize how patient God is with us. And if God is patient with us, don't we learn to be patient with other people? And so add, add to your virtue knowledge and to your knowledge temperance and to temperance patience. <laughs> and with patience comes godliness. Because we're patient. We love. We put up with. We don't push back. Just like God loved us, we love others. And so then we get to verse 7. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. 
and to brotherly kindness, charity. And every one of these words could be a sermon. And you could start to, I would encourage you for homework to dig into what each one of these words is and consider them in your own lives. But verse 8, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ, excuse me. If these are in you, right now we're getting to that predetermination, if you want to call it that. If these things are in you, you will not be barren, you will not be empty or idle, and you won't be unfruitful in Jesus Christ. But, he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see far off, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Verse 9. Really? Powerful contrast. So verse 8 is, if I truly understand the gift, if I truly understand the gift and the hope that I've been given, if I grow and I progress... And these identifiers, these aren't check marks of things I do. These reaffirm my identity in Jesus Christ. Right? If, if I grow and I progress and these identifiers are visible in me, then salvation is not only a present reality, but it's a future reality. If these things continue to be in me, I can't go wrong. But if I lack these things, if I don't have these things, if I don't grow, if I don't progress, if I don't have these identifiers, verse 9, then I'm blind and I cannot see far off and I've forgotten that my sins were washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we go back to that soil parable, it's basically saying that I'm comfortable with the stones. I'm the soil, but I'm comfortable with the stones. I'm okay to have stones. I don't need, and I don't need to ask the gardener to remove the stones and to flag that, hey, I got stones that they need to come out of my life, right? I'm comfortable with the stones. But the problem with those stones is that I can't grow deep. My roots can't sink in. And when the heat comes, and those hard times come, I get scorched, and I die. And that same parable with the, the thorns, right? If, if I'm comfortable with a lot of distractions in life because I'm good, if I'm comfortable being busy, if I'm comfortable being in a hurry, if I'm comfortable without these identifiers in my life, then I've got weeds. And if I'm comfortable with those weeds, there's going to come a time where all of those distractions are going to choke out the reality of who Jesus Christ is in my life. Wherefore the rather, brethren and sisters, give diligence earnestly with all your heart, with all seriousness, make your calling and election? Sure. We have a role in our future. For if you do these things, you 
will never fall. We are called to, through the grace already given by God, to work out our salvation, our own salvation, with fear and trembling. The the interesting thing here is that um, it's a journey. It's a progression. It's not static. It's not a one and done. Right? This is a journey and it's a progression, but as a progression, it means I need to be on top of my game every day. But that I can determine my future. Today, as I live it, every day, determines my future. And, and so if you think about, um, you know, the Apostle Paul challenges us to move forward. Um, the, the Bible talks about running a race. Paul talks about running a race. He talks about in what is it, Ephesians and Colossians, being a new man. He talks about um, being transformed, Romans 12. He talks about um, all of these as, as transformations, as shifts. I was this way, I'm now this way. Put on new clothes rather than take off the old clothes. Put on the old, new clothes. Put off and put away the old man, put on the new man, right? So I was, I am. There's a part of this that's in the moment it's a, like a momentous identity shift when I take on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But at the same time, that identity shift, that it comes with, um, with authority, it comes with ability, it comes with power to be new. And it's a journey. It's a continual transformation. It's a continual newing, renewing, if you will. And so if I continue and progress along that journey, it doesn't have to be a question mark. That question of how do I know which soil I am doesn't have to be there. It's a question that we should ask. How's my life in comparison to the soil? Which soil am I? I can determine which soil I am by the choices I make every day on behalf of his kingdom. I would just say, as, just as a closing, closing word, um, you have an opportunity every day. You have an opportunity today. It's up to you. Please don't like do what I did and try to push off and make God kind of smack me upside the head with a two by four to make me realize the opportunity that I had. Seize the day. Take on Jesus with all earnestness. Pursue him and share him. Amen.